0: I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. And this morning, um, the sermon's title is, is Wisdom, Christ, the Wisdom of God. And for those of you uh, who are just here today, and it's been a while since you've been in, in, in the, the fellowship of believers, I want to say thank you for being here. And I prayed this morning's sermon as a blessing and an encouragement to you. And we have lots of people going to camp and coming back from camp, and I just absolutely love the camp experience because in camp, you get to have this incredible time worshiping the Lord and getting to know the Lord and hearing from Him and His Word, and then you have this fellowship with other believers who are trying to live out their life in and under the word of the Lord. So you have this community of believers. And as you come back from camp or as you are looking in life what you really want life to look like, many of us think through those experiences and how do you achieve that experience? And we oftentimes think, well, the experience is we, we just need to get away and go to a camp. The problem is you can't do that in real life. You have a job and other stuff. But really is the camp? piece of it what changed and what was so awesome I would submit to you no it's not it's digging into God's word every day and being around other people who are doing the same thing and truly trying to live life like that and so as you get back and as you're you're in the real world or as you're trying to pick up the pieces from your life wherever you're at and really just feast on life that God's given you the key to it it begins with this walk with God but that takes discipline, and it takes some challenge. And this morning, as we're going through the book of Proverbs, you're going to see amazingly how God's Word in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament and how it all works together in and, and the simple, straightforward message that is the same, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. So this morning, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, let's begin. It says this, Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. In the remaining verses, what does wisdom speak? What does wisdom proclaim? But the very first question we have to ask, and I don't know about you, is what in the world is wisdom? There's, you know, just the wisdom of don't poke a bear with a sharp stick kind of wisdom. That's that's kind of common sense wisdom, but what is the Bible talking about when it says wisdom? Well, the very first place in scripture where we get this indication of what wisdom is is in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 5 through 6, and you find out wisdom is simply the word of God given by God for his purposes and glory. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 6 say this. It's on the screen above. It says, See, I have taught you the statutes and the rules as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel, that you should do them in the land to which you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom. And your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So wisdom basically is a, a very close synonym to the statutes and the commands or the word of God. It has a little bit more of an expression of actually keeping and doing in everyday life. It is not to deny that there's worldly wisdom. Uh, 1 Kings 4.30 says, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. So there is wisdom in this world, but God's wisdom is from above, and it was for his people, and it was his rules and statutes. It's something that you could get your arms around. But Proverbs 2, 6 says this, "...for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding." Again, kind of a reinforcement of a synonym of knowledge and understanding. "...he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity." So as you walk in God's word or wisdom, he is a shield. He protects your life. And this morning, we're going to find out wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the marketplace, she raises her voice, according to verse 20 and 21. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So wisdom is the word of God. But where and what is she doing? What is the word of God proclaiming? Notice where the word of God is not speaking here. He's not referring to the temple. During this time, about 1000 BC, you have Solomon building the temple. And while that's being built, you still have the tabernacle. And that's not the focus here. The focus is in marketplaces, streets, in the city gates, these are public places. Have you ever brought up the Word of God at your work or in your school or wherever you're at, at the store, at a restaurant, in your business? You want to talk about a conversation ender, right? This is amazing. You can be just whispering the Word of God in a conversation with someone, and the whole room gets quiet, and they're like, what did you just say? It's amazing the dynamic quality that just speaking the Word of God in public does. People get angry. They get excited. People repent. People just do all sorts of crazy stuff. So speaking the word of God in public is the context of this passage. And I want to challenge you to do it. You might think, well, it was easier to do in Solomon's day to speak uh, in the marketplaces there. They don't really understand what you have going on in your life today. They don't live in your context. Well, let's take a look at their context just a little bit more. This is a map of Israel in the New Testament times. Don't worry about the color shading on the map. The only thing that you need to do is look at the left side of the screen. That's the big blue area called the Mediterranean Sea. To the right is basically Israel. If you were to go to Israel today, you would fly into Tel Aviv. That's their capital. It's marked there on the map. And instead of going over to Jerusalem, most New Testament and biblical tours, they take you to the north because of all the sites in Israel, it kind of makes sense to do this big circle. And as you go to the north, you come across the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. This is in the Bible. And in between the sea, Dead Sea and to the south, that little blue spot, And the Sea of Galilee is the Jordan River, and it flows from the Sea of Galilee down into the Dead Sea, and it carries with it all this salt. That's why you kind of float in the Dead Sea. But up to the north of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus does lots of his early ministry, believe it or not, archaeologically, we have one of the best and clearest representations in all of Israel at Bethsaida, one of those towns that Jesus was doing some ministry at, of the city gates that it's speaking of here in Proverbs. And so when you come up to Bethsaida, just like all the other towns in Israel, they built them on these hills because they didn't have police forces back then. Their defense was a wall around the town. And there was only one way in and out of the town, and that was through the city gates. That's where your leaders, that's where all the commerce initially hit the city, that's where it all happened. So as you can see here, you're walking up to a... a, what we call a tell or a mound or a hill and on that the city is built and you can see there what is called the outer city gates over here to actually the next slide if we can get there yeah we can see after you come in from the outer gates you come into this marketplace there's about four big storage rooms and this is common in this period in time and it's a paved area and on each side there are places for storage for commerce in between there and the actual inner city gates. But notice what was going on during the Old Testament period of time, about 8th or 10th century B.C. that Solomon was writing. It wasn't all this, you know, hey, God brought us out of Egypt, everything was smooth. There was a great deal of idolatry. And so if you were proclaiming, if you were talking about the word of God at the city gates or in the streets, you would run across what was a sacrificial high place of the Baals, This is not just another religion that you might face in the workplace or in school. These were people who were were giving and sacrificing live animals and other things to this foreign religion. So when they spoke up for the word of God, there could be a price to be paid. It wasn't just an easy conversation to have. And finally you get here to the inner city gates. And if You are going in and out of the gates every day. You had this choice. Did you follow the word of God and his wisdom, or did you follow these other idolatry, uh, other idolatrous sort of beliefs, the Baals? It was a constant reminder, a constant choice, because theirs was visual, and the sacrifices of the Lord were happening at the temple or the tabernacle. So in daily life, God calls us to speak his word into basically the world and where we live and where we do commerce at our restaurants at our business places in our homes it's not just to be left at home with your quiet time or here at the church the ta- the challenge was huge so what was wisdom saying what was she crying out and by the way the she don't get Confused here? Like all of a sudden, the word of God is a she. It, it's no more she than the trite than the church is the bride of Christ. It doesn't mean that we're as the church all married ladies. Uh, no, it, its wisdom is a is a feminine noun in the Hebrew, and so the feminine pronoun is used to describe wisdom here. So she is raising her voice in the city's streets. Well, what does she say? Verse twenty two. It says, "How long?" Oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And how long will fools hate knowledge? There are basically three kinds of people that you're going to run into there are the scoffers, the fools, and the simple ones. Well, what does it mean to be simple? Simple is just naive or uninformed. Maybe. That's okay if you've never heard the Word of God. Maybe you just see creation and you understand there is a God of creation and you're convicted of that and you open up the Bible the first time. The very first time I opened the Bible, I was 13 years old after I'd come back from youth camp and I was reading through it and it didn't make a lick of sense to me at all, right? Because I was starting like in Numbers or some crazy book in the Bible that I had no idea what was going on or, or maybe one of the prophets. So someone's just simply suggested, hey, start in the book of John. That's a good book to start in, and, and you'll read it and you'll understand it. It was awesome. So, I moved from being naive or simple to a little bit more mature, but I was still young in, in the Lord. But you have to make that decision. But love being simple is an immediate rejection of God's word. It's kind of like um, you want to live for God, but without any of the guilt. You want to pretend like, oh, there's a God out there. I'm going to live my life, and, and I'm going to be willfully ignorant of what he wants or doesn't want. He's just going to be my buddy. That's kind of like this past week. I discovered watching uh, Modern Marvels, you know, the, the show on TV. Like, no one's ever heard that, right? So I'm, I go home for lunch. I'm trying to save money. I'm eating a healthy lunch at home, and I'm watching this show, and so I'm making sugar. Did you know sugar's All natural. Right. Yeah. So all of a sudden I can eat sugar, right? It's all natural. No, No, I can't do it. It's like I want to be willfully ignorant of some stuff. So guess what I do? I don't look at the nutrition labels on on certain things. I want to pretend that there's no sugar in, in, in the Coke that I'm drinking. It's just a Coke. It doesn't have this much sugar in it, right? So there's not realizing it. Then there's being willfully ignorant. And then there's hating knowledge. And you're going to run into all three of these if you bring up the Word of God outside your house and outside the church. And you have to decide right now, are you going to do it? And it may even be in your home. You may be married to an unbeliever. that Your family may be unbelievers. And you have to decide if you're prepared to deal with people that hate you speaking not some big sermon but just a simple few words of God. You'll be surprised at the reactions, but one of them will be hate. And it's, for those of us who know the Lord, it's just so shocking and surprising. But be prepared, and you have to decide because you're no longer in camp. You're no longer in the church setting. You're in the real world, and are you going to do that? Fools hate knowledge. Verse 23, if you turn up my reproof. So God is saying, all right, The simple ones, yeah, you're going to love being simple. The scoffers are going to delight in their scoffing, and the fools will hate knowledge. But if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And notice, they're not two, two things in one. It's not like God gives you his spirit, and you have to kind of search around for his words, and maybe he's feeling that you're feeling He's telling you this or that. No, it's very clear. He gives you His Spirit, and He gives you His words. You can actually know what God's will is for your life. It's clear. And in the New Testament, it's so cool how this works out. This same sort of scenario is played out. So notice once again, if you reprove or repent or turn, I will pour out my Spirit to you, and I will make known to you the words Well, in the New Testament, in Jesus' day, it says this And the Word became flesh and dwelt with us, or dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became the Word of God. John 1 1 through 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning God. So Jesus. Is the word in the flesh, and then he not only is the word but he becomes our wisdom. Verse uh, 30 in First Corinthians chapter 1 it says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So if we repent. He redeems us, and He becomes our wisdom. Jesus, the Word of God, perfectly keeps. Remember that aspect of wisdom that is maybe slightly different than the commands. He perfectly keeps and does the Word of God. He becomes wisdom for us. 1 Corinthians 1.24, but to those who are called. So God is calling us, Jews and Gentiles, no matter who you are, but to those who are called, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. If you want to live for Christ, you live in his word. Jesus in the flesh fulfilled all of the Old Testament, all of the wisdom. He was and is our wisdom. And then finally, John six sixty it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So if you come out of camp or you come out of church or you come out of home with your quiet time and you're just trying to set aside the word of God and you're going about your day yourself, it does not work. You have to have his word, his spirit actively at work in you. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. This amazing thing. All you have to do is turn at his reproof. Notice this also. It's not whether you're a good person or a bad person that determines this. You can have a lot of wise people that are seemingly pretty good according to this world. That's not not how you approach it. It's simply do you accept God's word and who he is and who he says he is and what he wants for you or not. It has nothing to do with trying to live a certain way or not live a certain way in order to achieve something. It begins with his word. Verse 24 in in Proverbs, it says, because I have called and you have listened, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish Come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I won't answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Wow. You have the chance to repent and turn and and God gives you his spirit and his word or not. So what's going on here? Verses 24 through 25, he says, the cause of everything, once again, is the individual's rejection of God and his counsel. It's not that they're bad or good people. It's just simply their individual decision. They become distraught, basically, and full of terror because of their own pride and arrogance. They want to go their way. That's the cause. They want to live according to how they want. And it starts out so simple, right? You figure, I've got some basic common sense. I know how to get up, I know how to to go to work, I know how to go to school, I know how to live the basics of this life if you were raised in a decent home. You know all of that. And so it's real simple to walk according to your own ways rather than to stand back and actually look and use God's word as a lens through, through how you view and live life. What does it mean to be a godly husband? What does it mean to be a godly mother? What does it mean to truly work? What is the purpose of work? What is the purpose of life? Is there eternal life? Am I saved? Am I, do I have a relationship with God? What does he really want in my life? Verses 26 through verses 27, God says he will laugh and mock them and when their terror comes upon them and their calamity and distress and anguish. Huh? I thought God was this loving God. I thought he was this kind and merciful God. Well, be careful how you read this. Let's, let's get some clarity here. Ezekiel 18.23 says, this is God speaking in his word. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. Ezekiel 18.32 For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. God isn't a God who is just sitting there mocking you, waiting for you to die. But he is a father. How many in here have actually have kids? All right, quick survey. How many in here have actually been a kid? All right, that's all of you. All right, we got them all. So my parents uh, had a particular kind of, of parenting. Maybe this occurred in your life. Today, we're kind of in the snowflake generation and and everyone is like so careful they don't do this so much. But my parents, when we we were being raised, they would tell us, they would instruct us with their words and be very clear about it. They would lecture the same command over and over and over and over again. But finally, we got to an age which they gave us a choice. We could either listen to them or not. And then the famous last words as we're going out the door, as we were promising that we were going to listen to them, and we knew we weren't, and mom and dad knew we weren't either. They were like, okay, don't come crying to me when things go wrong. And sure enough, right? You're out there on your bike, and you're about to make the jump that that you believe is like the Grand Canyon that you can make. It's only over like 20 different garbage cans on your your bike, and all you need is a little bit of run-up, and you're pedaling your bike as fast as you can, no helmet on, no pads. And all of a sudden, your buddies are there cheering you on, and you jump, and you don't even make it past the first trash can. You take a header right into the metal cans, not plastic, metal Blood everywhere, you know. You got road rash, you got little pebbles lodged in your arm, and and you come screaming back to the house, bleeding everywhere, crying, and dad's just sitting there laughing at you. (laughs) Like, really? And, and he was genuinely laughing. I mean, it was probably funny, but he was trying to make a point. The point is, I'm going to mock you because you clearly aren't listening to me, and maybe then I can get it through your thick head that you'll quit doing stupid stuff and listen to me, right? Now, we don't do that today. I mean, it's probably better parenting, but, but God's kind of like that, right? Notice these things. It's not they're dying at this point. It's just terror. They're afraid, Calamity and distress and anguish, right? They're not dying here at this point. But verses 28 and 31, it gets a little bit more serious. He says, They will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Not too terribly serious there, but there's there's a point where you walk away from God and and it's a scary point. Romans talks about this where God gives us over to ourselves, to our own way of thinking. And verse 29 says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. And by the way, that's where everything begins. You can read the Bible and it's just words on a page. But if you get to the point and realize that there is a God and you begin to seek him because you can see his creation, but he's just not walking down the street. So you like, how, how do we find God? Well, the Bible claims to be the word of God. And if you approach it like, you know what? I'm going to at least be open to this and see what it has to say. Because there is a God. I, I know the difference between right and wrong and sin and good and holiness and evil. I see it every day. And, and you begin seeking. It's, it begins with the fear of the Lord. But if you don't have that, it, choose not to fear the Lord. Verse 30, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. So they not only heard the word of the Lord they, and they tried it out, but they actually rejected it. They, they understood what sin and righteousness was and, and they had none of it. They wanted to continue in their own way. He says, therefore they shall eat of the fruit of their way. This isn't God doing this. He's just simply gonna give you over to yourself. And have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by the turning of the way or turning of their way. And the complacency of fools destroys them. There comes a point where if you live long enough in a certain way, it might ultimately take your life. It's a scary scary thing. In in the old King James, the complacency there is actually translated prosperity. It's also translated in other versions in Jeremiah 22, prosperity as well. So it's it could be complacency, but legitimately prosperity. So believe it or not, when you're living by your own wisdom, things could go quite well. And things are going so good that you think you've made it. I mean, you've achieved great success in your education, and your career, you're doing well, you're making a huge salary. Maybe you're really well-respected even. And you're achieving all the goals that maybe you or your parents set out for you. And everyone's going, yes, you've made it. You have your own business. Maybe you're a multimillionaire. But guess what? There's going to come a day, some point, where you're going to have to face life and death. And ask yourself, in everything that you achieved, does any of that matter? Does any of it matter? When you're faced with the grave. True terror. Well, true terror, that may be terrifying to you, but there was another lady in my life that, that was very terrified of something, and we decided to get a little even, right? We wanted to, We didn't introduce her to Jesus, but we did introduce her to the grave with something called... Uh, grease lightning. Uh, In the 70s and early 80s, there was this uh, park in Houston, Texas. It was a theme park. It was one of the first. It was like the first uh, amusement park in North America to have a roller coaster that would go upside down. And it was just like a lightning bolt, and that's all it was. There are much better ones today. But when I was a kid, after living all my life with my parents mocking me, uh, we eventually convinced my mom to go on a roller coaster, which she was absolutely terrified of. And so what we would do to really try to help her focus on, on that terror and on the grave, the fact that she wasn't you know, always going to be alive, when we would get in there the one time, I shouldn't say like this was a whole process, we got her on there one time. We got in there and there were these metal bars that would come down and, and latch on. So she got in, and she was real nervous, and the whole time that we were in line, there was like a 20-minute line, we were like, Mom, is that roller coaster really steady? Do you see some cracks there? (laughs) You know, I heard that this actually went off the end there one time and killed some people. It's probably not true, Mom. And so the whole time, the 20 minutes leading up to her getting on the seat, we're just kind of planting seeds in there, right? Doing the best we can because it was time to get even with mom. And so when the bars finally click down and they kind of go click, 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 click. Well, my sister and I made a plan, right? We were kind of winking at one another. And uh, as the little guy comes by and checks the bar and moves on, my sister and I look at one another like with this utter look of terror on her face. And I go, sis, or, or, her, her name is Tammy. And I go, Tammy. Weren't these tighter the last time that we were on? Did, did that guy really check it? And my mom begins to freak out. <laughs> she was like, she's like, get this thing down, and it won't go any further down because of some mechanism. And she's trying to push it down, and it keeps popping back up. And she's doing this, and my sister and I are just giggling as much as we can. She finally gets it, and she looks over me with like, these eyes of hatred. And then finally... He's like, everyone buckled in and they're about ready to hit the button where you shoot off at 70 miles an hour down the track or whatever it was. And, and then the last words to my, mo- my mom uh, said to me were this. She goes, make sure you hold on tight, right? That's, that's the advice that moms give. What did I do? She just, she started screaming at that point, and when they hit the button and launched it, she just like screamed all the way up to the top, and, and the roller coaster hit the, not quite the end of that, and then it goes backwards through it, and at that point, she just ran out of breath, and she was breathless, and she we went back around upside down over the loop, and she went in. Finally, as we're pulling into the station, she looked over at me. She didn't say a word. She just shook her head, got out, and walked. She wasn't like, hey, kids, come on. I want to watch, watch after you. Let's not, you know, we don't want you to get lost. She just took off. <laughs> she had had enough of that. She had faced death and survived, and that was it, right? Well, if you face death and survive, I don't know where you're at in life. Maybe you're at a low point. Maybe you're at a high point. But there's going to come a time where where you do think about it. And here's the really good news. In verse 33, the writer speaking from God's perspective says, But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Notice it doesn't say that disaster is not going to come. No, you're strapped in on the roller coaster, and it's going to go. It's called life. But you can dwell secure in it. You don't have to be full of terror. Romans 10, 8, and 11 say this. I talked about Jesus being the word of God, being our wisdom of God, and our redemption In closing, he says, but what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. Paul says they knew the word of God. They had heard it. They had accepted it even. The word is near you. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. This faith is really simple. Simple. If you want security, if you want eternal life, it's Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The reason why he's the only way is because he's the only one who was born, lived a perfect, sinless life, and willingly laid down his life, shed his blood, To pay for sins, your sins and mine, on the cross. He perfectly fulfilled the Word of God. And the Father accepted that sacrifice as a payment for all sins, now and forever. And this faith is just us simply repenting or turning back to God from the way that we are living and placing our faith. Not in something that we do, but something that Jesus did on the cross. His word, His promise, that if we trust in Him, take His hand, so to speak, and follow Him as disciples, we will be saved. We are born again. He gives us His Spirit as a deposit and a guarantee. He says in verse 9 of Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's not just I believe in God, that's I will follow you all the days of my life. And you need to understand that because if if you believe in God and you've never made that decision to actually turn and follow, you are not saved. The Bible says even the demons believe in God and shudder. It is the difference in knowing something and having a relationship with someone. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says... Once again, Jesus is referring back to God's word, his promises. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Ultimately, wisdom is the person, Jesus Christ. You need that relationship with him. If not, on the roller coaster of life, it's going to be going along pretty good, but it's going to end someday. And you have to decide which way are you going to choose, your wisdom and your path or His. I pray that it's His. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so very much for Your grace, for continuing to forgive me. We might be saved, but we continue to sin, and You continue to forgive us when we repent, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray if there's someone here struggling in their walk with You, Lord, that uh, you would help them, you would remind them that you are faithful and just to forgive, that no matter where they're at, no matter how many times they've messed up, that it's new and fresh every morning, Lord. Father, if no one is in here, or if there is anyone in here that has never made that decision, I pray they do it right now. There are no magic words. It's just simply to believe and with their mouth and prayer, quietly right now, to confess you as Lord and Savior. And be bold enough to follow, as we saw here earlier, in believers' baptism and to walk every day of their life in you. Lord, help us to be a church that supports and builds them up in that process. Help them be, be, to be bold enough to confess that and to make that public, Lord. We just thank you for your grace in our lives. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.